to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Belfast, the last of the Oscar Best Picture nominees we have talked about on The Rewind. And joining me today to talk about this one is uh, Fred Cobb, who's back uh, pretty soon after talking about Death on the Nile with us to talk about another Kenneth Branagh movie. Fred, what's going on? Happy to be here again and very excited to officially be the Kenneth Branagh correspondent <laughs> for The Rewind now. Yeah, if we go, in, if if we, if we, God forbid, we should go in another lockdown. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do a throwback on Artemis Fowl, right? So, oh God, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. Actually, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also joining us uh, for the first time since being back here in the fall to talk about the French Dispatch is our friend Arjun Call. Arjun, thank you for coming back. Thanks for having me back. I um, I love doing these. I know I should do them more, but either way, I love whenever I whenever I get the chance to do them. And um, that's what I was about to say, Fred. You're now honor bound to do uh, an Artemis Fowl episode. Hey, so, uh, take, take I'm not trying to create that much extra work for myself on a movie that most people just kind of laugh about. But like, you know, if <laughs> if we did somehow have another dead spot because it's like some kind of COVID thing, where like, you know, I found the time to do this like Batman series I'm doing with my friend Nick. Like, it, it'd be like a funny, it'd be a funny random thing to do. I will, I will, I will concede to that. I will not commit to more than that though. But uh, Belfast is actually a well received Kenneth Branagh movie that uh, you know, it, it's a semi autobiographical movie for him about his time uh, growing up as a young lad in Belfast, Ireland during a time of great strife when the troubles were uh, raging pretty uh, hard back in the uh, late 1960s. Uh, the movie itself kind of tells the story of a working class Protestant family who's dealing with a lot of different strife in their own ways as it, with this violence as its backdrop. But the, the and I should say the parents in this family are actually kind of nameless. I think, I mean, we can just call them Ma and Pa because that seems like how most people are referring to them as. Uh, pa is played by Jamie Dornan and Ma played by Katrina Balfe. Pa is a um, he is a blue collar worker that has to go over to England to find a lot of work while uh, Ma keeps the home. They have a son who a nine year old named Buddy and a uh, and, and another older son named Will. And they also live with Pa's parents, uh, Granny and Pop, played by Kieran Hines and the great Dame Judy Dench. We see as they kind of have different struggles with some of this violence going on, but they also face financial troubles due to, uh, you know, an uneven work situation where Pa has to, like, again, go over to England to get work, but also uh, struggles with his gambling and stuff like that. And all throughout it all, it's told from the perspective, though, of Buddy, who's kind of the point of view analog character for uh, Kenneth Branagh himself who, uh, you know, is trying to do all the things little kids do while they are, despite the fact that he's living in a fairly dangerous place, whether it be, you know, uh, flirting with joining a gang or uh, having a crush on a girl or trying to get good grades in school. And so we're kind of following all that, why we see the parents, you know, talking about larger life issues and if this is the kind of place where they really want to raise a family. Uh, I think a lot of people, guys, have, you know, understandably referenced Roma when talking about this movie because we're just a few years removed from Alfonso Cuaron uh, winning the Oscar for Best Director for that movie and uh, doing it in black and white and kind of telling the story of his childhood, though. I mean, obviously, a distinct difference in that was that the uh, POV character was a fictitious uh, woman who uh, actually kind of, you know, helped out the family and just want, you're kind of led to believe one of those kids was probably the Quran stand in. Whereas here, it's actually from the point of view character of the director. And other than that, you know, it's black and white. It's told in about the director's childhood, though. So I think a lot of people have, you know, we're maybe flippantly saying, oh, it's white Roma or it's uh, Irish Roma or whatever. Or Kenneth Branagh's Roma. And I'm wondering, uh, 
I'm sure you guys had that kind of thought going into your head as you saw this, because you both saw it for the first time a little more recently than I did too, I believe. I saw it back around Thanksgiving and just missed out on doing a podcast. Uh, so I, I did see it again last week, but I think you guys probably like got to hear even more people talk about it in advance of actually seeing it yourself. So I guess, Fred, I'll ask you first. Uh, I'm sure you heard different things like that or other kind of reference points of reference for movies going into it besides just Roma. But what about Belfast kind of like uh, made it stand on its own effectively from you, even if there are kind of other or tour type projects or personal autobiographical projects from directors that we've seen before telling stories about their childhood. I've always had a bit of an interest in stories uh, told from the perspective of children growing up during troubling times. In fact, a couple of years ago, we did a podcast on Jojo Rabbit. And obviously that's a very different kind of movie with a very different sense of humor and different priorities, but it still shares some of the same themes that you have a child who's growing up in a place where there's a lot of constant danger, uh, there's a lot of political violence and political conflict. Uh, and when you see that from the perspective of a, of a child, it's a very different viewpoint than you would get from an adult character. Mm. Um, and I, I find the setting for this extremely interesting, A, because Brana obviously has a very unique insight into it because he actually grew up in Belfast and then moved over to the United Kingdom when he was nine years old. And the other thing is just because I've been to Ireland a few times. And I remember the first time I went was back in 2002. So just a few years after all of this conflict that had been going on for decades had kind of come to a bit of a standstill. Mm. And I still remember at the time when we went, we went to um, the southern part of Ireland, so not Northern Ireland where this takes place. Uh, the idea of going to Northern Ireland was still a bit stigmatized at the time because it was known as a very dangerous area where you had a lot of violence and there was a lot of crime, cars occasionally blew up, like buildings burned down. So there was still that time period then where people kind of got used to the idea that this was actually now a more peaceful country where tourists could visit without feeling threatened. Hmm. So that's why I was kind of interested in the, uh, the setting of this uh, to begin with, because um, just by the mere fact that it's set in Europe and I had a personal connection to it a little bit, um, I was very interested in uh, how Brana would tell this particular story. So that was my initial mindset approaching it. Yeah. And Arjun, I guess what I would ask you then was, did you almost, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you know, you know, a decent amount about, uh, I'm guessing, you know, a decent amount about the troubles. I know you're a pretty well-read guy, but I'm wondering, uh, did you kind of appreciate this more as a movie about, about this time and place or like about this particular family? Was there one part of this movie that worked more for you in that regard? Actually, um, I don't know if I really um, appreciated it in that way. And honestly, I really, um, like, I, I think I definitely disagree, or not disagree with, but like, I definitely don't really um, associate it with um, Roma all that much. Granted, I liked Belfast much more than, not much more, I didn't quite like Roma, but I, I like Belfast very, very much. And uh, I, I definitely sort of think that, to me, the reason that this movie is so remarkable, or, you know, one of the several reasons is that it's, it's a really interesting movie about memory and childhood memory. And um, it, it takes place, you know, it uses the troubles to a really um, sort of perfect degree, I think it doesn't. It doesn't make it the movie totally sort of uh, you know entirely dependent on it or about them, but it uses mm -hmm. it as, as a great sort of pretext for you know obviously them moving, but also as a great pretext for um, I thought for for the movie to sort of um, take place in this interesting like almost like liminal space, a very very ridiculously overused buzzword but i'm going to use it now anyway um, hmm. this sort of liminal space in this kind of child's head it creates this sort of strange i don't know milieu where it's like it's it's everything's a little hazy and i really you know there, there's there's a lot of interesting research around like that about how um how children fabricate 
child or not fabricate but how children sort of play with and come to retroactively understand childhood memories and you know there's a funny like a really interesting study from like five ten years ago about how people people consistently uh backdate their um their their childhood memories so things that they understood like like experienced when you know they were 10 they'll ascribe to things that like you know they experience at the age of three or four or something and memories tend to cluster around emotionally significant events and we tend to sort of organize them that way in our mind so it's it's a really interesting movie and a really brilliantly done movie, I think, as a piece of kind of like metafiction, almost Brana reconstructing his childhood, consciously or unconsciously, around emotionally salient events where you know or you have to be accepting of the fact that this isn't necessarily true. This isn't necessarily like, um, I like a, the, this, this period of like, you know, like this period of time isn't doesn't didn't necessarily take place exactly like this, but this is the way that Brenner remembers it. And these are the reasons why. And I think that the point where it hit me is at the end, where um, you know, obviously spoilers, obviously, but you know, when when the uh, the, the bad guy, the, the bad guy that doesn't search into the film, played by Merlin from Merlin, hilariously, <laughs> which um, he sort of comes with, you know, his 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 gang and his dad. I think throws a rock, and like mm-hmm. it hits the gun in his hand. And that, like, obviously, this did not happen. Obviously, and it didn't. There were no like orchestral, like, uh, I can't remember the movie, the, the soundtrack I was playing, but it was like a spaghetti western kind of. Thing. I knew it. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. And like, thank you for it. It's it's like obviously this didn't happen that way, but uh, Buddy sees his dad as a complicated and eventually heroic figure. He sees his dad as brave for you know having to give up family to go work as i think it was a joiner in, in, in england um and then you know having to go back and forth and he sees the hardships that his mom and dad are going through particularly his mom and that leads to this the kind of the the way that he remembers this and i sort of thought it was interesting how related to that we don't know how or i don't know if it's explicitly mentioned i certainly didn't remember how long this period of time is how long this could be years or it could be months Oh, like, did the events of the film, you mean? Yeah, the sort of like, because it's structured interesting. It's, it's like a series of vignettes where it's like, and it all sort of edited, it's edited so long it comes together at the end. So it's, you know, it's it's more of a reconstruction of memory than like a telling of what actually happened. And I love well, that. I thought it was, that was my favorite angle about it. Well, so it's funny that you mentioned like, because I, I agree. I mean, I can't disagree with most of what you said about how, how it conveys this from the kid's perspective, but I also, I, I think, and Fred, Fred noted when we were talking about this before we like uh, got on the Zoom call, how he thought you guys were pretty positive. And he, he noted my first letterbox review is a more tempered. And I'll say that like I some of the stuff that bothered me on my first viewing actually didn't bother me as much on the second. And I'll get into that. But one thing I haven't been able to shake. And I think it's funny because Fred noted his trips, his prior trips to Belfast is that I, I've actually was in Belfast about uh, a, a little more than five years ago. I'm with my family. And it was like the most memorable part of the trip. It was like a two week trip around around England, Ireland, Scotland. So a bunch of different stops on a cruise in addition to a couple of days in London. And like the part of that trip that stuck with me more than anything was Belfast because I was pretty ignorant of the troubles before then. So I, I mean, I just remember being fascinated by the fact that like, hey, there's still like a gate here that separates the Protestant and Catholic side, which kind of blew my mind as a thing in 2000, that it existed in a, um, a developed country in 2016. And I so I, I took it to mean like I, I guess I'd been kind of building up my head for a while. just like how dangerous it must have been to have those kind of borders within your own city. So, you know, this movie is kind of bookended by some violence with that gang member, you know, uh, 
kind of looming throughout, trying to convince Pa to, you know, and all the other Protestants to join up with him. And I guess I kind of went in kind of like thinking, and I'm a little hesitant maybe to criticize it too much for this, because again, it's Brana's own experience. Who am I to kind of like say what it actually felt like to be a kid in that point in time. But I think part of me after the movie had been like expecting maybe to feel like a little more tension throughout because this kid just happened to be walking around in these dangerous times. Whereas it kind of felt like you had one set piece in the beginning and one set piece at the end. So maybe I kind of was like, man, this feels like it kind of didn't do everything it could and choosing to tell it from the kid's perspective in the way that I was expecting it to. But on the whole, though, I still think I came out maybe a little more positive than negative because I really like the stuff with the parents so much um, and even more so on the second viewing. So that's kind of where I came out on the movie, though. I, again, I want to acknowledge, I think I might have like, it's kind of like I'm probably unfairly putting my expectations for the kind of story about Belfast I wanted to see after I visited it because I just kind of built it up in my head to like just be, I guess, kind of a war zone all the time. But that's probably not that realistic. Yeah, and I'm also not sure that's the movie that Bronner necessarily wanted to make right. because he doesn't even he doesn't even explain a lot of the uh, political undertones and some of the buildup uh, to the troubles all that well. Like we get a basic idea of what the conflict here is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he doesn't really dive into some of the historical causes and what really uh, informs uh, the violence in Belfast. So I think for me, the movie primarily worked as a depiction of uh, how children feel that sense of belonging to a community. And a lot of times they don't really associate it with the negatives because their parents will shield them from that. So when you're a nine-year-old kid, you hang out with your friends, you're in class, you're happy when you get rewarded for a good grade. Although I will say I got pretty good grades in school and nobody ever cheered for me <laughs> when I got a great exam. So that's not really something that happened. I'm glad that I, I had a different experience. Fred, when you moved um, Fred, when you moved to America, were you you were seven, right? Or nine or something like that? I, I was a little old. I was 13. Oh, okay. Um, I can't remember. But, yeah. but I was gonna say I do relate to the movie on that level as well. And that's I think where it hit me the hardest on a personal level. Uh, because I do remember the conversations my parents were having at the time when we left Germany and moved to the United States. Uh, and they were also talking about how this would impact me and my mother because um, obviously we had been in school in Germany for years. We had our groups of friends and moving halfway around the world and starting afresh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a challenge for anybody, uh, especially when all of a sudden you have to speak a new language. Uh Yeah, but that aside, I mean, there are very major considerations that go into that. And obviously, when you're a kid, you don't really realize what some of the challenges are that the parents are facing. We know as an audience, because we hear some of their conversations, we know that there are major debt issues, uh, that they haven't really been uh, up to date on their taxes. Uh, The father is getting a really good job opportunity over in England, which aren't that easy to come by uh, in a city where the unemployment rate keeps going up in the late 60s. So when you're a kid that's nine years old, a lot of those factors don't really come into play for you. All you want is to stay with your group of friends and uh, keep having fun, keep roaming around the city. Your grandparents live nearby. You obviously want to spend time with them as well. And if you move away, you no longer get to see them as much, which was also a factor in my parents' decision to move, by the way. My Mm. grandparents stayed behind in Germany and there were years when I wouldn't see them sometimes. So that's definitely something that plays into all of that. And I thought just from that perspective, I thought it was a really interesting um, exploration by Brana to go back into his childhood and deal with some of that, because I'm sure a lot of those memories are pretty painful to him because I'm sure he did have to uh, 
leave a whole bunch of things behind in Ireland that he genuinely cared about. And I think just from that angle, it was really quite an emotional experience. I had some issues with the movie that we can get into later, but I think on the whole, that's why I really responded to it in a very favorable way because it did hit a lot of those uh, strong, poignant beats for me. Yeah, Fred, I was going to um, ask, um, because until now I thought you had come to America to go to UF. Um, <laughs> so, um, because I, the same thing hit me um, really, uh, really hard because I moved from, uh, I moved around a few places when I was uh, young. I moved, I was born in England and moved to, you know, uh, Bangladesh, Thailand, and then uh, Singapore in there too. And then a few places, I'm uh, sorry. And then after those, I moved to Canada when I was 12. And the conversation oh, wow. that they have in the movie was, I think, similar, I guess, to, to what you experienced. I remember exactly the conversation that I had with my parents to say, you know, should we, are we going to move to Canada? Having that kind of like, that, that like the conversation that was difficult at the time, but you remember now as being sort of very full of like hope. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're leaving your friends, you know, you're leaving, uh, you know, uh, your sort of routines and stuff. And, and but if you're that age, like, you know, nine in the movie, or even I would get, I would say like you know, anywhere I was 12 or 13, anywhere around then, you feel sort of like, or at least the way we remember it, it feels more hopeful than it probably was at the time. Like it's, you know, I remember one thing I very distinctly thought moving from um, Thailand to Canada, from Bangkok to Canada was um, um, because I was obsessed with dinosaurs at the time. <laughs> and I knew that Alberta was a big dinosaur place. I didn't, I was stupid. At the, I, you know, I didn't know that Montreal is very far from Alberta, but I thought like, you know, oh, oh, Canada has dinosaurs. And that's the detail that sticks in my mind now, mm-hmm. however many years after having that conversation. So, you know, I, I appreciated that that was something that was replicated in the movie. There was kind of, this kind of like, it was sad, but there was this sense of like cautious hope from the children that, was was it was it was really interesting to see how sort of three generations of people dealt with that kind of move you know the children were kind of cautiously hopeful the mom and the dad had more obviously mature and trepidatious feelings about it and the grandparents were very understanding you know accepting and 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 that really got me thinking how you know how my parents must have handled us moving how my grandparents who were still in england must have handled my parents moving away and um it was, it was, I thought that was done really well. I, that was one of two parts of the movie that made me um, start possibly ugly crying. Uh, <laughs> that along with the grandparents, uh, uh, Kieran uh, Hines' uh, speech in the hospital. Which, uh, yeah, yeah I, honestly, guys, I don't want to do a spoiler section for this movie because by the time that people like actually listen to this, like it'll be almost the Oscars. Like if you want to see Belfast, you'll have been able to see Belfast. So I'll just say like, I, I, w- I want to ask you guys two questions. This is like a funny aside before we get there. At what point in the movie did you, uh, did you figure out that the grandpa was dying? <laughs> was it when he danced think, you know, like, was it when he like yeah. was it like the third time he gave sage, sage advice from the toilet what when was it <laughs> i i saw i saw this film with uh my friend denise and we went to see it because it was the winning film of the toronto international film Festival, mm-hmm. which is and they do a free screener mm-hmm. and this was the first year and i think a couple of years that they had done the free screener in person so we went to see it um in between luckily in between covid waves which was after my first bout with covid but not my second because i'm one of the mm-hmm. lucky people to have had twice Jeez. and um uh, I think when I did the French dispatch, dispatch one, I'd only had it once, but no, I've had it <laughs> done again. And, um, and uh, you know, and I think I genuinely turned to uh, my friend Denise and said, as like at one point, and it was after his like first, like his first couple of lines, I was like, he's not making it out. <laughs> it was, like, you know, as like, he might as well have said like, I don't know, I'd like lit up a cigar and said, I'm, I'm on my last day. I'm, it's, it's my last day on the force. And I... <laughs> 
I'm, I'm like about to go on my I'm on, 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 on a retirement voyage on my yacht with my beautiful wife, which we won in the lottery. And, you know, that's, yeah, he's, he's, it was, uh, but I appreciated how unsubtle it was about, like, <laughs> unabashedly very sensitive. He, he, I'm pretty sure he coughed at one point too. And I, I don't, don't, don't we learn you were used to work in the coal mines? Uh, yeah. that, was, <laughs> that was when I picked up on it. Yeah. If you worked in the mines, then you're going to die young. And Kieran Hines already looked way too old, in all honesty. For What's funny is he's, he's almost 20, he's almost 20 years younger than Judy Dench also. Yeah. <laughs> It was still apparent he was the one that was gonna die. <laughs> I, think, I think it was. The, I think it was when they said um, when uh, when when he said how much. Wait, did he talk about how much he still loves uh, the, the his, his uh, buddy's grandma? He was like, yeah, like I still love her exactly as much. So yeah, he's not. He's, <laughs> he's done. One of them's done. It's probably him because he said it. But. Yeah, going back to what you guys were saying though about like the, it's it's funny you connected that much with the kids. So I'm curious. Uh, I, I I I don't quite have the same real life movie experience that I did. Not that that's the only reason you guys appreciated that part of the movie, but I I, I wasn't able to connect to it as well as you guys. And the only time I, I ever left moved away from somewhere where I had like a lot of family was when I moved away from Philadelphia when I was five. Um, lived with my family in Mobile, Alabama for two years, which is ironically like harder, was harder on me for some reason, even though I much prefer Philadelphia as a city to Mobile, Alabama. I remember being much more angry when we left Mobile, Alabama when I was seven than when I left Philadelphia when I was five. And maybe that just said something about like when kids grow and form certain attachments and at certain ages or whatnot. But, but beyond that, though, I didn't have a lot I could hold on to in that regard to this movie. Uh, and maybe that's why the, 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 the stuff with the parents uh, worked even better for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Fred. Uh, what did you think of Jamie Dornan and Katrina Balfe? Because I think they've gotten a lot of, even though they weren't the, they, even though they weren't the two that got Oscar nominations, I feel like people have been like really impressed with their performance. And I mean, that was just like some really, really difficult subject matter that like to in terrain to, for them to tackle with respect to like just the, the dad taking this stance and I, and, and, and just like, having to try and really kind of feel what that mom is feeling about why she's drawn to this place, despite all the awful things we know are happening there. I, I just thought it was like really, really well done. What did you think about that corner of the movie? Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually what I really appreciated because a lot of times when you have this much conflict between a married couple in a movie, uh, it's usually very one-sided where you have one character who's making the right decision uh, for themselves and for the kid. Uh, and then one character who's totally in the wrong, who's obviously going to lose out at the end because uh, they don't actually respond to what's going on in the right way. And here it's a very balanced perspective where you realize they both actually have very valid points. Uh, he's getting a very good job opportunity over in England just at the time when things are getting progressively worse in Ireland. And you can tell that there's a very real chance that uh, the children might grow up in an era where there's going to be increased hostilities. Uh, there are already quite a few gangs uh, that are trying to recruit uh, Buddy. And, and, and yeah, they're, they're seeing their son like get progressively in more trouble. Exactly. So you, yeah, there's also that scene where, and I mean, that, that doesn't really relate necessarily to the gang, but they go into the candy store and they run out with some candy and then the cop shows up later. Um, so that's obviously not really tied to the political violence and uh, the fighting that's happening on the streets. But still, you're getting to a point where a change of, uh, change of scenery might be good for the kid. And that's around the time when this really good opportunity comes along and uh, it's going to get them a new house. Uh, he'll be employed for years. And that's not something you can take for granted in this era. But then on the other hand, you have the mother um, who's been in Belfast her entire life. Her husband, he went to England from time to time and he was able to almost establish a life for himself there as well 
but she's been part of this community for her entire life and she's never left. And I think we live in a day and age where we take this idea of instant mobility for granted that uh, when we want to go somewhere else, we go online and we see, okay, are there any jobs available in the city? Oh, great, there are. Let's apply for the job. Maybe we can do a video interview. Back then, you didn't have any of that. If you had spent your entire life in Belfast, you really weren't very familiar with how things were going in other places. People weren't quite as informed about how the rest of the world worked. And they actually end up going only, I should say, to England. I mean, Sydney was a possibility <laughs> as well, which is obviously like even more distant and strange to her than uh, the idea of moving to England is. So when you've been living in the same city your entire life, you have your friends there, you've established roots there, you can rely on your neighbors to help you out uh, when push comes to shove. The idea of abandoning all of that, that's a genuinely daunting task. And I really appreciated how both Jamie Dorman and Katrina Boff uh, were able to really convey those perspectives in a way that seemed both authentic, authentic uh, and extremely relatable. Yeah, well, so my first viewing of the movie, I, I got a little annoyed at the mom. I was like... <sighs> Because, I mean, at a certain point, like when you keep seeing all the bad stuff happening, we know what we know about the troubles. I, I'm just like, yo, why don't you want to get out of here if he has this awesome of a job offer? I mean, I did too initially. I yeah. And, and that was one thing that kind of stuck with me after my first viewing. And I don't know if it was just her performance or maybe like kind of seeing that the dad is like a little bit more of a scoundrel than I realized on the first time when we cut. It's like in the I don't know. It felt like the movie on the second viewing. I'm like, oh, the movie, like you got to like kind of just like really like put yourself in the mom's headspace. And like the movie's kind of like putting the dad out there as like a charming guy such that like we can kind of joke about his gambling when he's giving out horse advice without like, and then you might tend to forget about the position that's probably put his family in financially. And if you can like, kind of like get past just how charming Jamie Dorman actually is, you realize like, Oh, like, you know, uh, it, it, you got to feel for the mom a little bit. If she's being kind of put in this situation, that's not an ideal one. Uh, at least the financial strain is probably like largely out of her control by all, it is what it sounds like. So I, I don't know. I, I just think some of that stuff struck me more in the second viewing. So I kind of appreciated it more. Whereas like, I, I probably kind of got lulled into like uh, some of the, you know, just the, the biases that come with not thinking about where these characters are coming from more critically on my first viewing. Uh, Arjun, what did you think about like just how, where the movie's priorities were with the kind of showing both where both the Ma and power coming from? Because I, like I said, it was kind of like a little bit of an evolving uh, viewpoint I had on that. I was actually, I was, I was the opposite, but huh. not in, um, in like a, well, like the opposite in the sense that I still, I still sided with one thing strongly, but it came, uh, I appreciated it more because I've seen it twice now and I appreciated it much more the second time I saw it. I, the first time I saw it, I was almost annoyed with dad and, you know, it, it's a testament to how good Jamie Dornan is in it and how charming he generally is, I guess, that he, that I wasn't, you know, more annoyed at him, but I kept kind of saying like, you know, you can't. I kept like wanting to like shake him by the shoulders and just be like, you know, just say the right thing. You can't like rush this kind of thing. It's easy to see why she's so attached to Belfast. It's easy to see why she doesn't want to leave. She hasn't been with you on those like trips to England and stuff. She doesn't see, you know, this kind of thing. And you can't make people see it. And then I think the second time I saw it, I um, was a lot less annoyed at the dad because it highlighted, it highlighted sort of um, the priorities his dad has and the priorities that like, you know, the restraint that his dad shows like lesser people, I guess, would have sort of been more, uh, you know, um, angrier and more, uh, and more like, like, you know, pushy about it. But it, it was interesting that they show the dad to be this kind of like, his worst vice is, is, uh, is gambling. I think mm -hmm. his worst vice is being a bit of a scoundrel, you know, and I both, I think the first time I saw it, I, um, 
didn't love this part and the second time I saw it I actually I quite appreciated like this part how sort of uh I, I think I joked at one point to a friend that it has like um the parents have like a uh, a set of like a nice sanitized like Disney plus set of vices where <laughs> there's neither of them are having an affair neither of them are like you know or we don't even know if the dad like you know neither of them are and you, and you think that at one point in the movie you think something that something like this might be happening but it's you know they're 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 decent people they're both kind of decent people who care about each other a lot and that is surprisingly rare the more i think about it to to have the sort of restraint and to to have the sort of i guess skill in 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 writing and filming this to be able to create tension with a relatively minimal set of you know character flaws um the worst thing that i can say about the dad is he's um, yeah the, the worst thing that we can say about the dad is he's He's a bit of a scoundrel. The worst thing we can say about the mom is she's she, kind of, she loves her home too much. <laughs> yeah, she's she's very detached. And I don't think that paints a picture of, you know, I don't think that's necessarily saying, not that movies have to say anything. I mean, but, you know, like, other than Hot Rod, which says anything you could ever want more. But um, I think, uh, like, it, it's not necessarily saying that this, um, you know, his the people who his parents were are perfect. It's saying that, I think this is the way that he remembers his parents. These are the the good parts of what he remembers them to be. And, you know, this is why they made the decisions that they did. Ultimately, they were able to, you know, rise to sort of the occasion at this point and get their family out safely. And it's interesting that I think there's so much that doesn't we don't know about the lives and, like, you know, personalities even of the parents, but we can still sort of believe them as rounded and well-played characters because i i did really like how both of them played i think i think honestly the first time i saw jamie dornan was the weakest in the movie for me and then the second time i saw it he was i thought wow this he's actually he's quite good he, he gets this sort of sense of being like um almost almost someone who doesn't want to grow up like kind of someone who's who's he's he's resisting the, the the pull of the kind of you know this this grown up job this having to care for his family and like that's so, or not resisting the pull to care for his family but resisting the pull of like of of you know having to deal seriously with this kind of conflict and the moment he steps and the moment he kind of um, you know steps in and actually tries to get his family out is is it's you can tell it's a big thing for him and it's and it's important for the way that Rana remembers his own father so yeah and and I guess in a way I mean that's that's portrayed as doing something that's like honestly kind of selfless in a way and that you know like these people have never known anywhere else and he's he's willing to make that big of a switch because he does seem to believe it would be the better thing for his family and because he was so convincing in doing that i think that's why i was like a little annoyed at the mom on the first viewing though i I just think her performance is actually so good that like i I, on my second viewing i i I was like i kind of talked myself out of that line of thinking i was like okay no like I actually kind of buy that this woman would have this deep of an attachment because after the, after the first time I was like, maybe they could have had a couple more like family barbecue scenes or something like that because they have, they have like one of those. And it's like, maybe if I'd seen a couple more of those, I would have really felt her connection a little more. And I felt it plenty on my second viewing. And I, and I, and I, I kind of got why, like I kind of got it. And I, I that, that made it, that made a big difference for me for whatever reason that, that, that it just didn't have on the first time. And I mean, it, which is just, I mean, very important when you have a movie about like, you know, uh, leaving a, leaving the only place you've ever known. So the, I guess we didn't talk that much about some of the day-to-day of like Buddy and like his interactions uh, with his grandparents all that much. I mean, you know, th- those are just like incredibly charming performances. Uh, uh, Kieran Hines and Judy Inches, they're the ones that did get the Oscar nominations ultimately. Uh, we joked a little bit about how like once we saw how lighthearted they were, it, it kind of, uh, it, it was a bit of a bad signal for uh, for old grandpa. But I I don't know, I'm, I'm, 
I, I can't get it out of my head. I was reading one review that like, I, I can't remember which, which, which uh, critic it was beforehand, but like in that, like maybe some of the writing for some of uh, Kieran Hines's lines wasn't like the, like the best, like wasn't like the most best unique writing. Like some of it might've actually been kind of like, you know, standard wise old man advice, but he's like so good that like, he kind of really conveys the weight and life experiences of that guy anyway. What did you kind of think about how they utilize these, uh, these patriarch slash matriarch figures, Fred? I mean, there's a reason the standard wise old guy trope exists because mm -hmm. a lot of grandfathers are that way. I mean, I'm thinking about my own late grandfather who passed away just a few months ago. Uh, and I distinctly remember one time uh, my parents, they were gone for a week on vacation and my, brand my grandparents came to stay with us mm. uh, to watch me and my brother for a week. And I had a math exam uh, during that week. And you, you, get, some, you, get, some, you get some lessons in uh, writing sevens, Fred? I was going to say, you give some great math advice to uh, <laughs> buddy here. So uh, not quite that, but I do remember I came home and I didn't quite do as well on my math exam as uh, I wanted to. And yeah, I don't remember how they do it in America uh, with exams, but uh, in Germany, when you went to elementary school, uh, you had to get your parents' signature on an exam if you didn't perform uh, as well as you might have liked and return it to the teacher the next day. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, my parents were gone on vacation. My grandfather was obviously a lot more understanding and sympathetic than my parents would have been. So he was all too happy to put a signature on there. And then I turned it in the next day. <laughs> uh, so that is one of my favorite memories I have of my grandfather. So when he's sitting there getting this dubious math advice from him, I was thinking, you know, this is actually, sure, it is kind of charming. And uh, we know he's not going to be long for this world. But at the same time, I think we all, or at least I hope most of us have these really, uh, just wonderful interactions with our grandparents uh, because in a lot of ways, they are not our parents and have to instill these very serious values in us. So sometimes they can uh, be a little bit more mischievous about what they teach us about life. And I think Karen Heinz's character was really good about that kind of energy where on one hand, he's um, clearly nearing the end of his life, but in some ways he also still has that really just fun and childlike energy uh, that makes him relate to his grandson in that way. And some of his interactions with Judy Dench were also very humorous where they've been married for a long time, obviously, and they kind of jokingly put each other down. Uh, and again, also reminded me a lot of my own grandfather, my grandmother. They also had that kind of relationship by the end where uh, they clearly were still very much in love with each other, but occasionally they also uh, weren't afraid to point out each other's vices and each, other, each other's bullshit. So I definitely related to that a lot and I really enjoyed those interactions quite a bit. Yeah, I'm very fortunate in that I lived to be almost, uh, I, I, I almost got to be 27 years old with all four of my grandparents. So uh, just a very big, very big part of my childhood in that I was that fortunate. So I, 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 think, I think it is pretty cool that the movie chose, I mean, I guess who knows, maybe this is probably actually Brana's childhood experience that his grandparents were around. But I think it's smart in the way that like you have these, you have these moments that are with, it's, it's kind of, if you, if you do have grandparents that are like in, in good health, you're going to have moments when you're just with them without your parents that are going to like, create lasting memories. Like Fred just talked about like staying with his grandparents for a week when they went on vacation that happened more than a few times with both sets of my grandparents. And, uh, my, my, my late grandpa that passed away, uh, a little over four years ago now, like, uh, very kind of similar and like always doling out life advice in a, in a very wise way. He was very, I think he was a, probably a little more verbose and uh, long winded than the Siren Hines character, but, uh, it was just like, uh, always in a very charming way such that like, you know, 
I just was gonna. I just left a left a great impression on everyone that he came into contact with, and it's like, the, the like just so much of that is gonna stick with me. And I think that's it's kind of cool that like I think I think I think it, one of the moments where you see Buddy kind of erupt when he's like crying about not wanting to leave Belfast. I think he mentions his grandma and grandpa. Uh, like you know, I think that it's it's interesting that like you know a a nine year old's head is gonna like go to his grandparents even amidst the you know a, I think he also does yell about he's not how he's not gonna get to marry that girl too. Uh, so he has uh, plenty of things on his mind at the same time uh you know not seeing your grandparents not seeing your crush i mean uh, i think one's maybe bigger than the other but like it kind of shows how like that's a that can be easily they can easily become a big part of a kid's life and uh, uh like just like a great source of comfort and i think the movie certainly does a pretty good job of conveying that as well uh arjun were, were you impressed with how the movie like kind of made them feel uh you know fairly distinct and more than just your average like old wise couple yeah definitely i think um you know i again i never got the sense that you know this is the sum total of his interactions with, with his grandparents i think i only realized the second time i watched it that i'm sure that you know outside of these uh three four wise stock uh, old man old, old wise advice conversations i'm sure there were tons of you know like boring points where his grand where where his, where, where, uh, where his grandpa probably very nicely told him to you know um, go go like scrub the counters or something, you know. And they were just or they were just sitting around or something, you know. Like there were there are probably tons of moments like that. But I think, yeah, these are the moments that that he remembered. These are and and yeah, and I think it did quite a good job of, uh, you know, of being a movie exploring aging. That's the other point that I think this movie really succeeded on exploring sort of like what we think is important as we grow older, what we sort of value and. Um, it's it, it's telling that I think you know the grandpa or the grandma stayed behind when the rest of the family left, um, and we saw that uh, Katrina Balf had the same sort of conundrum, had the same sort of you know, do I stay and you know with everything I've ever known and loved, or do I you know do I go with my family? And it's it's telling and interesting that the grandma stayed behind because that's where her priorities are now. That's when she needs to survive. That's um you know. She has faith that her family will find success and love, you know, wherever they're going. And that's, it's, um, I found that it very revealingly all, all around with the grandma and the grandpa um, showed, yeah, things we prioritize as we grow older. Hopefully that, hopefully as we grow older with some degree of, you know, stability and, um, you know, stability and um, ability to take care of ourselves and everything. Obviously that, you know, um, with millennials' wages, that is not that is mm -hmm. less and less likely. But um, you know, still, <laughs> obviously, as we grow older, with if if we grow older with the ability to you know with the ability to have that kind of stability, the same way that presumably they had in 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 in, in Belfast, that Judy Dench and Karen Hins, that we we begin to value certain things more. We begin to sort of value you know, and we begin like you know stability more, and we and that's the things that we pass on to the people we love. That's the things that we pass on to you know. And that's what they will remember. There were probably tons of, you know, boring points where the grandpa said nothing of consequence, like our grandparents all probably do a lot of the time. But the things that Buddy remembers are the things that are important because they're the things that Kenneth Browner remembers as he's grown older. And I think in that way, it's a very, um, it really is one of the most intensely sort of capital P personal movies that I've seen in a while. Not just personal as in the, the the generic sense of you know what what does what does the the what does uh, the the generic protagonist 
not the one from Christopher Nolan's Tenet, but, you know, what does the protagonist mention, like, you know, remember as they grow older, but it, what does someone who's writing about their childhood and writing about someone like Kenneth Branagh who loves movies and that, you know, and who's writing about their childhood, watching movies, being with their grandparents that got them through this obviously pretty traumatic time, what do they remember? What does this person remember and value as they grow as they've grown older and it's it's personal in that sense i don't think it's one of the first movies i've seen in a while where i really think wow i don't think anyone else could have made this for better or worse for me for better but you know i get it if you're someone who thinks for, for worse it's hmm. um and i love <laughs> well, that yeah. movie it's, yeah yeah i love it about the movie how how it's um you can see a little bit of i've never met kevin Prada. i have only heard him watch i've never even watch more than a couple of YouTube interviews with him, but I can see that these are the things that 60-something-year-old Kenneth Banner remembers now, and these are the things that he sees him himself valuing more because that's what his grandparents, growing to the, the similar age of his grandparents, valued then and what they told him. It's 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 interesting. Well, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't even know if I can necessarily disagree with the point about, like, no one else could have uh, made this because, uh, you know, not, not only is it, you know, from his mind, but also, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of a lot of what we're seeing on the screen derives from his, uh, particularly his relationship with Belfast beyond and even uh, beyond just those specific memories of his childhood that we're seeing recreated. But you know, it's funny. Uh, just about a week ago, uh, you know, uh, Fred and I talked about a different movie that I'm sure uh, that was also directed by him that you probably also could have had numerous people direct, and in no large part because about you know just a lot of it was shot like you know on a soundstage slash green screen slash who knows what, and that was Death on the Nile. So I'm curious, Fred, like we, we've gotten two very vi- different visual Kenneth Branagh experiences now uh, in the last couple of weeks. And I'm and I'm wondering, uh, that's twofold, though. Like, one, did you actually like what, what did you think of the look of this movie? I don't even mean compared to Death on the Nile. Those differences speak for themselves. It is kind of funny that two movies so different visually came out from the same director within a few months. But I'm wondering, uh, one, uh, how did you feel about like the look of this movie? And, two, and I guess two and more specifically, uh, did did the. Did the black and white do enough for you such that like it was worth them doing that when I that was part of what was just gonna you know invite those Roma comparisons? Since you mentioned Death on the Nile, I do think it's worth pointing out that there is an Agatha Christie novel underneath the Christmas tree in Belfast at one yeah. point, and he's also reading a we, Thor comic. Right. So <laughs> you can you can kind of tell which movies Brana uh, <laughs> enjoyed directing and which ones he didn't. I didn't see a copy of Artemis Fowl anywhere. <laughs> but it is interesting because yeah, they are two wildly different movies, obviously thematically, visually, uh, really and every sense of the word and of course to a certain extent the black and white uh choice is a bit gimmicky because we have i've seen it in roma already and of course it always denotes uh a sense of nostalgia for the past like everything is in black and white you don't exactly remember everything perfectly so everything's kind of uh looking like an old movie almost and old movies do play a major factor in this as well actually and I would argue that's the one thing where I think Brana kind of overshoots the target a little bit for me. We already mentioned High Noon. Uh, they watched that at one point. We see scenes from The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which are both very famous black and white movies from the 1950s. Or Man Who Shot Liberty Valance came out in the early 60s, actually. Chitty Chitty um, Bang Bang in color, right? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in color, yes. That was... Uh, actually, never seen that one. I, I really should remedy that at some point. That's uh, quite quite a classic from that era. But what I will I say like is Forbidden, Forbidden Planet 2, or like, there was a science fiction one. I can't remember 
which one was it forbidden planet i think i, I, I they did watch a star trek episode at one point yes mm -hmm. i remember that yeah, yeah but i don't know if there was another science fiction movie in there but in any case so clearly brana on one hand uh i would say chose to make the movie the way he did in black and white a because it leads to a very beautifully done scene at the very beginning where you see belfast in present day in color and then kind of the camera goes up a wall uh, into that neighborhood and then it switches to black and white. I thought that was a really cool shot. Um, but also because, again, like he's paying tribute to his childhood and movies did play a big influence in there. I just wish he hadn't necessarily transcribed some of the stuff from the movies into the actual plot of the movie. Uh, you already mentioned that scene uh, during the end where that song plays uh, during that climactic fight. I thought that was a little too excessive for my taste, uh, where things just kind of got overly sentimental, where the movies start playing that major role in the actual events of the movie. And I get it. Cin cinema has played a role in a lot of famous childhood movies. Uh, Hugo is a big example that comes to mind. Uh, and of course, uh, the absolute classic of this particular way of telling a story, uh, which is Cinema Paradiso. Mm. So, that is not the so that is not really the first time that's been done. Uh, I just feel like those two movies kind of lend themselves to the idea of uh, early movies a little better because that was a major part of what was going on in the plot. He had felt a little forced to me. So that is the one stylistic choice that Brana made where I was like, okay, we, I get that you're being very nostalgic here and you're also very thankful because some of the choices that your parents made back in those days by going to England enabled you to have a career in movies. But it kind of created this weird tonal whiplash from time to time, which I think a lot of people are criticizing the movie for, where you have a film that's set in late 60s Belfast, and you have a lot of violence in the neighborhood and a lot of conflict. But at the same time, you're kind of sanding it down a little bit by trying to make it more like this fairy tale where you kind of incorporate some of the heroic elements of something like High Noon, which is a movie about a guy who is single-handedly protecting a town from bandits. <laughs> so I don't think some of those themes uh, gelled very well. And that's, I think, the one slip-up that Belfast has that I wasn't especially happy with. Arjun, did you have any thoughts on what Fred just said or any other uh, big visual takeaways that you had from the movie that you wanted to touch on before we wrapped up? Actually, yeah, I think I, I, I agree with Fred in that sense. I like... If there was something that um, there are two there are two things that I thought the movie could have done a little bit better, and I would have appreciated something that you know, um, I, I that that like expanded Buddy's perspective a little bit more. For example, like I don't really think that you know I don't really think that the inclusion of those very very overt obvious nods is like you know awful per se. But I would have appreciated if there was something at the end that like you know where Buddy sees that. It's it's a little bit more complicated than like you know his father is a town or his father is defending the town from bandits. In reality, these are like it's it's a it's a sectarian gang made up of a lot of, of people he grew up with and knows and presumably loves. You know, and that was I think that was a mature that, that was a mature and uh, interesting setup in the baked into the writing that I don't think was explored enough in the movie. The fact that the antagonists, as much as far as you can have in have an antagonist in this movie beyond uh, the black lung for his grandpa. Um, as um, like, you know, it's, it's, it was an interesting and mature move to make the antagonists uh, part of, um, you know, it's the, their Protestant gang trying to force um, his dad into, if I remember correctly, they were a Protestant gang trying to force his dad into signing up with them. 
rather than, you know, it's Catholics or just Protestants and they're bombing each other and stuff. And I would, I, but that mature step wasn't necessarily, or in Baker's at the setup of the story, wasn't really replicated in the writing. Presumably because I guess Brando wants to show these overt, you know, um, uh, allusions to, to, to movies. But I would have appreciated if there was something that hinted at the complication of Buddy's perspective or hinted that, you know, things aren't always the way that we see in the movies, that this is just the way that Buddy's remembering it. I did, speaking of the cinema parodies on the not, I think that was my favorite. My, my favorite Cinema Paradiso sort of connection was the Judy Dench speech at the end, where she says very overtly sort of the message of Cinema Paradiso, where instead of, you know, just sort of summarizes it neatly in a few seconds, but says, you know, go on, don't look back kind of thing. I think, I can't even remember if she says, go on, don't look back, or Cinema Paradiso, go on, don't look back. That's how similar it is. That's the scene, I'm sorry. That's the scene that sort of got me on the, uh, the hill to die on where, like, you know, I thought Katrina Balf was the most impressive move, performance in the movie, but I wouldn't mind if Judy Dench got a nomination. Mm. She eventually did, but you know, um, it's it's. I, I think that was my favorite sort of overt movie connection, if that was a movie connection. I didn't think with with respect to sort of the visual style of the movie, the other, the second thing that I thought didn't work, and you know, both of them are minor things. This was my seventh or eighth favorite movie of 2021, I think. So like, um, both of them are like, you know, minor things but um i found that the limited nature of the movie the very limited visual scope worked well in some ways and occasionally didn't i think in the moments where you know in the very overt movie movie illusion moments it didn't really work well like you know freddie was saying like the high noon shot at the end um it, where it comes across as sort of um unbelievable rather than sweepy nostalgic um, but in other ways, in other ways, it did. You know, I like I vividly remember one of the first shots of the movie is that it, it, it pans behind him to see that house of value poster, which is whatever that store is at the end of the street. I, I think I expected it to, to to sort of you know to have this sprawling of hue of Belfast, and I liked that it was at times basically like a, almost like a film stage play, like it really never leaves. You know, and in, well, in ways that's interesting. Some ways that's interesting because that's the way we remember. He, you know. Well, Sorry, what was it, Josh? I was just going to say, it's funny you mentioned that sprawling view of Belfast, because I, I guess I didn't specifically ask you guys about that opening shot, uh, which is uh, like a, a little disorienting when like you kind of like know what to know enough to know like what you think this movie is going to look like the entire yeah. time. I'm like, am I in the right <laughs> yeah. movie or something like that? And it I was, kept it, thinking we were going to visit his father working on the docks. <laughs> we never went back to the docks. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, so I thought that was like, I thought that was actually incredibly well done, though a little confusing on the first viewing. I, I just thought, wow, this is like really beautiful how they're shooting like this, this modern version of the city. Like, and, I, but like, I guess I kind of knew what, what was coming though. I was like very confused and it, it did kind of make me think about like what a color version of this movie would look like, because it seemed like he kind of had a, a pretty good eye for that version of the city you get in the first 60 seconds of this movie yeah it was um it was you know it was um yeah like you know at, at times i appreciated that we never went back to that big you right. know, very uh that that glossy view i remember it being very like uh this is almost like a you really expected like this kind of like nice drone shot at the end and the come visit belfast just like fades into view or something but, like, <laughs> you know um like it was very glossy it was very touristy and then like i at times i appreciated that we never went back there mm -hmm. and at times I, I i didn't because you know i think that in terms of like the the, the way that it's shot and the visual like the visuals of it i think that I, I think it could have improved in i don't know how to explain it but like um 
the textures almost of this movie seemed a little flat and I wanted more you know I, there, there's stuff that I wanted to stand out more in terms of the way you know in the way that they shot it for example like I um this is this is like a like a slight tangent but you know I like or it's sort of it's a weird movie to compare it to but just so I can sort of make another comparison as to what I'm trying to like get at I watched I rewatched Skyfall the other day mm. with some friends and that is a movie where because of the way that it's shot and probably because you know Deacons it's um the textures stand out so well like there's a scene where they go into the underground bunker and the way that they shoot sort of the bricks is very clear it's like crisp mm. and like you know the way that compared to for example the scene where Bond fights um I can't remember his name, but you know he's he's a generic kind of faceless goon in a in a building in Macau, and everything's sort of fluorescent and glossy. And then, again, the textures sort of stand out really really well. You can you get a sense of the, the world you're in. And I found that there was something that was a bit missing in Belfast. It's almost a black and white memory film. The memory sometimes to sometimes to its advantage and sometimes to its detriment. You know. I, so what you're really saying is that they should have hired Roger Deakins to shoot this movie. <laughs> then would, then, then is, it would have been a lot better. That's, yeah, that's universally true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting that the, the movie didn't get nominated in Best Cinematography. That might say more about everything else that got not, uh, that came out last year, but like that 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 wasn't something that got nominated there, despite the fact that it went for a fairly kind of distinct look. Yeah, like you know, I think editing and sound are the two. I didn't get nominated for sound. I yes, I like. I like I'm happy that we got nominated for editing and I think the only place where the sound sort of fell a bit flat was like no it it it, 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 it did not get nominated for editing it got nominated for sound though oh I think yeah as 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 little as I know about editing which is basically you know nothing I <laughs> I'm like I I think I I really liked how brief like how tight he was at it felt it did it's only like 90 minutes long and it I find it gets across so much it has the time to sort of be this nostalgia trip and also get across sort of deep home truths like everything we've just talked about you know deep home truths about um, life and love and family that don't land in a hollow way and it's only you know 90 minutes i think yeah that was quite good if anything the visual yeah the visuals were a little bit sort of um i don't know if generic's the right word but it's not that they're generic they just didn't stand out enough to me but other than that i i yeah everything everything about it the way it was made is quite good for me hmm. yeah uh fred any other final thoughts on belfast things we didn't touch on any other odds and ends you want to wrap up before we uh call tonight um i would say the one thing that also bothered me a little bit was that uh, little speech jamie dorman gives at the end when we find that the girl he has a crush on is a catholic and that's of course used as a stage for him to tell him well catholics are people too obviously <laughs> and it's important that we realize that and of course she's invited to come to dinner as well even though we're protestant and she's catholic <laughs> we're all human beings so i thought okay you, 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 you didn't need jamie dornan to tell you that uh religious bigotry is bad <laughs> well i didn't need him to tell it to be in that particular way um so I, I thought that that whole thing felt a little bit forced although i will say also related to that i also had a crush on a girl around that same age and i also said pretty close to her in the classroom. I also try to make eye contact with her, but she didn't really like me. So she usually made faces at me. Sounds like so, someone didn't study his maths enough and just wasn't sitting far enough up in front of the class. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that was my mistake. Just, uh, yeah, that's attractive back in, uh, when you're that age. Uh, um, but no, on the whole, I really will say, I get when people are saying that uh, when you have a serious uh, subject such as this one, um, that when you make it such a big nostalgia trip, it's almost a little bit of a betrayal to uh, 
the time period that you're focusing on here. I get that criticism, but that's just not how I understood this movie whatsoever. And I really thought for what it was trying to be, it did a really good job selling me uh, on its premise. And I also appreciated that Brana was able to pay tribute to his parents because he does recognize, of course, that the decisions they made that, that enabled him to become a famous movie director. And that's why he's where he is at today. A lot has been said. A lot has been said about how like they are like the, the like the hottest couple to ever just like be parents in a movie, basically, or at least in like a prestige <laughs> movie. So it's like, what does this say about how he really viewed his parents? Like, just like this is an ode to them. I'm going to make you as hot as possible. Did he actually think his parents were really hot? I don't know, but yeah. I mean, well, I mean, <laughs> both both of, both Jamie Dornan and Katrina Bell, object, objectively attractive people. I think we can all agree. <laughs> Arjun, anything else about Belfast that you wanted to uh, touch on before we finished up? Yeah, one thing that I really wanted to get across to that match to say was just, you know, how, how tightly edited and how, how like, how much get across in such a, such a small amount of time. I will, that, that bit didn't stand out to me, or I didn't remember, I didn't even remember that bit until Fred, you just mentioned it, the whole, the scene at the end where, the, you know, where we're all, you know, we're all people to Catholic or Protestant, yeah. you, you really <laughs> expect like a, you really, you really expect like a, I don't know, like a, like a look straight into camera. We're all people here out here in Belfast, cut to black. Like, yeah, I think like it's it that was a bit generic, but you know, it's um it's yeah, I, I don't I, I feel exactly the same way as Fred. I d I don't think it was as much as I could see, and you know, maybe I would feel differently it was if I was more connected to the subject matter. As much as it, but that, you know, as much as as much as I can see the uh the um like their 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 point, I don't I don't really think this is a betrayal of any kind of like of, of any kind of you know the seriousness of the subject matter because this is a movie from the point of view of a kid and this is a movie from the point of view of that wants to show how how much what we're told as a kid and you know why we're told it and the circumstances we're told it and stays with us and what we connected to and it, it's it's it is really like it, it is an excellently universal movie in that sense I thought it's um yeah this this doesn't have to be a movie about sort of displaying the accuracies of sectarian violence. This is a movie about how it affects the regular people who, you know, have a depth of feeling and emotion and carry that through their lives. And I think as someone who, you know, I'm not from Northern Ireland, but as someone who's moved a bunch, um, often, you know, at least once because um, not, you know, necessarily by choice, but because, you know, my dad lost his job, it was, it was very good in that sense. That, that part really connected with me. And if that's what, if that's the job of movies, you know, to tell people people's perspective and have them connect with you, then yeah, this movie was 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 fantastic. Yeah, and I think I appreciate it a little more hearing you guys talk about it that way as opposed to just me like kind of being like I wanted I, I wanted this uh, nine year old kid to feel like he was in danger at all times every time he walked into the street, which I guess is kind of uh, where I'd expected it to go. So I, I I maybe I got a little down on it after I saw it for not having like. I don't know, a little more of an edge, but I, I, I just can't, I can't disagree with anyone who says that like it got, it got a lot of that really deeply personal specific stuff, like really right. And, uh, had plenty of, had plenty of real emotion behind it. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, that wraps up our reviews of the Oscar nominated movies for the 2021 year in movies. And I'm happy that, uh, you guys were able to, uh, talk about that one with me and you can, we'll see, as we noted before, it, uh, got nominated for seven Oscars. So I'm curious to see if it is able to, uh, sneak in and actually, uh, and, and actually win any of these. Um, I don't know. So, uh, but 
Uh, that'll it, it, it certainly um you know uh, made an impression with a lot of uh, with a lot of folks in uh, in the business. Uh, Fred, uh, anything else you've been watching since uh, we talked to you like a week ago? Maybe maybe this will post a couple weeks after the death on the now pod. But anything new you're watching or since then that you want to shout out? It, kind of coincidentally, I've been watching a lot of uh, Irish movies slash mm-hmm. movies set in Ireland these past few months. Like totally total coincidence. Uh, the two big ones uh, were Ryan's Daughter from David Lean, and the other one was Barry Lyndon. Uh, Ryan's Daughter, uh, I really just didn't care for that much at all. It's by far David Lean's worst movie. Um, just manages to take a really interesting time period, and he's so hyper-focused on the love story uh, that he just kind of forgets the most interesting part of the movie he's making. So that's not ideal. Barry Lyndon, I have to admit, um, was a bit of a letdown because it's like one of the like best movies on Letterboxd. It looks beautiful. I thought it was so emotionally distant that after three hours, I was just like, I didn't really feel much of anything here. And it's a pretty long freaking movie. So I need you to get me at a more, uh, if you want me to stay interested for that long, like you need me to care about the main character and you didn't do that. Um, Hmm. So that was a bit unfortunate. That said, the one uh, Irish movie or, set of Irish movies that I highly recommend and I always make this a point uh, is the work of uh, Cartoon Saloon. I mentioned Wolfwalkers on my uh, favorite movies pod a few years ago that's streaming on Apple TV. Uh, that one I highly recommend. There are also two other movies that they made set in Ireland. Uh, the Secret of the Celts, uh, Celt, Secret of the Celts, uh, which I haven't seen yet. The other one is Song of the Sea, which I have seen. I actually watched that one on a, a tour bus in Ireland a couple of years ago, uh, the tour guide just put it on for us. And uh, I guess that's something they recognize in Ireland too, as one of their uh, really big achievements in cinema. Uh, and those are just really beautiful movies, very moving, just really great work and animation, more traditional than what we get a lot nowadays from some of the more mainstream animation studios. And they're just really fascinating stories that incorporate Irish culture, Irish history, um, so I would highly recommend those. And outside of Irish stuff, the one other thing I want to plug is I'm currently watching a TV show uh, also on Apple called Severance, uh, starring uh, Adam Scott as uh, a guy who has his memories split between his personal life at home and his uh, work. So whenever he leaves work, he forgets about that part of himself. And then when he uh, co- comes back to work the following morning, uh, that personality reactivates. Oh, wow. That so got really good reviews. I, ha- I hadn't seen too many people actually talk about severance. I just, you know, I've had a very busy couple of weeks at work, but that's intriguing. It got very good reviews according to at least. Yeah. Only the first two episodes are out uh, so far, but it's like a really cool setup. Uh, ben Stiller is, I think, directing most of the episodes. Yeah. Uh, has a really high profile cast. Uh, John Tutoro is in it. Uh, Patricia Arquette. Christopher Walken. So really interesting concept. Really interesting stuff. I can't say whether it's going to continue as uh, promisingly as it started, but so far it's been quite a ride. So I highly recommend people check that out. Cool. Arjun, have you been watching anything else lately that you uh, think is worth recommending? Um, I mean, like, you know, like sort of running through the stuff that I've watched lately since I always mean to comment on the what are you watching Wednesday posts and I never get around to it. <laughs> but um, I think like out of, out of the stuff I've watched recently, um, I guess I've, well, I recently watched, um, with Jamie Dornan and Christopher Walken, I recently watched Wild Mountain Time, 
which is <laughs> oh, God, inc- oh so so unintentionally funny it's so like it's so and at one point i'm sure they realize that this is this can't be anything other than funny because they just lead into like they, they introduce like they're, they're all doing really bad irish accents including jamie dornan who has a perfectly fine working irish accent <laughs> um <laughs> Christopher Walken's is so funny. He like sounds like he's always threatening someone. It's really, and then seemingly at some point they they realize that this can't be a serious movie. So they introduce John Hamm as like the American cousin that he's like a straight man to these people all doing like you know really borderline like Shamrock Sheik's top of the morning to the Irish accents. It's really, it's like and it's quite beautifully shot too. It's just really quite not great but very funny. Um, I recently watched. Uh, sneakers from 1992 with robert redford and oh, i like that one. That's a good one it's um it's very totally i like i thought it was totally strange because i thought that the funny sort of camaraderie parts where it's these group of like you know ragtag group of misfits and i appreciated that they weren't you know they really show how like they are really ragtag like they're not like you know they're, they're not like funded by millions of dollars of cia assets or something they're putting their stuff together from like discarded computer computer bits um, that part was very good, but then it tries to pivot to at some points to be like kind of a kind of like techno thriller, and those parts it, I get a, I get a bit of tonal whiplash from it. Uh, but I thought that the people in like Robert Redford and Sidney Poitier in particular were very good, um, and um, David Strathairn, who was one of the I will watch him in anything type people. Speaking of which, I watched Nightmare Alley recently. Fantastic, hmm. so incredible. I, I, I was expecting a very good movie. I wasn't expecting Guillermo del Toro's I think second best movie. Wow, um, I, I it's and the other two are like the last couple things, I guess, like were the top. Oh, actually, well, I watched um, stupidly, I, I watched all of Inventing Anna, which is the genre on Netflix. <laughs> first. I watched, I finished the first episode, and it was like, okay, on one hand, this is really objectively bad TV, on the other hand, Julia Garner's accent, which is seemingly from like seven different places, <laughs> is just entrancing and the well, that character was supposed to be a russian of... that's like spent a lot of time in germany or something so who knows what that accent would actually yeah, sound and like, like this, right? fakes being like a, a high society german socialite but also like in america it's really strange and it's don't watch it i was very excited Julia for that because i like julia garner a lot and i was just like glad she was gonna get a showcase but then i just heard so much bad stuff about it that i haven't even bothered starting it it's, it's not fantastic um yeah but the um so then the last thing is um if you've ever so there's this great Bollywood movie called The Lunchbox and it is genuinely like um it's 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 quite western palatable too but you know it's it's very like it is a genuinely good Bollywood it's it's very melancholy and it's very uh it's about um two people who uh start um like a, they're excellently connected because of a wrong delivery of a lunchbox from a wife to a husband's uh workplace but in the sort of classic like you know like a twist screw up and they and the lunchbox still gets delivered to a different person and that's how they connect and they both sort of commiserate about their their the, the, how dissatisfied they are and they're very it's very melancholy but it's very very good it's really lovely it's sort of a very it's a movie it's a movie made in 2013 that has more in common with like you know uh romantic dramas from the 40s and then then it does with a lot of, it's really one of the best they don't make like they don't make this like them it, or they, they don't make them like this anymore movies. But I recently watched the director, Ritesh Batra's uh, newest movie called Photograph, which is very similar in some ways, but it's just as good. It's, a, it's also a romantic drama. It's also about chance connection, kind of. And, you know, but it's also very melancholy. And it's also very, like, 
deep in uh, wanting to use any other word but that. But it's very, it's very sort of soulful. Hmm. And uh, both of those, the lunchbox and photograph, I think are very. If you want a, if you want a nice romantic drama that is just um, right. very reflective. Well, sounds like you've been getting around to a lot of stuff lately. I, I, I honestly hadn't. I honestly, I was ignorant. I never even heard of sneakers. So that to to know it has like kind of some legends like that in it and is a is a it well not movie. even like it's like Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, uh, somebody River Phoenix. It's it's a lot of a lot of people are Wait, a lot of people geez. in it. All right. Yeah, I, I already I, I I added it to my letterbox watch list while you were talking. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it short. I I'm I'm gonna at some point within a week or two of this coming out, I will have a podcast on the movie Dog with our friend Daniel Lima, and Dog is just absolutely delightful. Uh, I I mean, look, I mean, I probably would have done it for Daniel anyway because like it's an animal movie. He wants to talk about it. I would do it just to humor him. But you know, it's 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 more fun than like maybe just like a or more 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 in, more watchable than you might think on the surface unless you were into that trailer then like you'll probably like it but you know it's not just like a silly kids movie about a dog it's trying to do a lot more stuff but channing tatum is like legitimately hilarious and it is nice to have him back in live action movies because he kind of been away from them for almost five years so uh just very happy to have him back because he is very hilarious basically just acting opposite a dog for most of a movie and just a lot of fun uh fred uh you want to plug your letterbox your twitter or anything like that yes please follow me on letterbox uh, that's Fred Kolb, F-R-E-D-K-O-L-B. And you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Fred the German. Interesting. All right, uh, Arjun, I know uh, you have a very enigmatic relationship with the Letterbox app, despite all your friends' efforts to the contrary. Do you have any other personal? So, do you have any other personal social media or anything you would like to plug though? Look, I just I just went on for about ten minutes about four movies I saw, and if I ever go on Letterbox for more, I, I will get that will be I will be glued to my chair for days. So you know. So it's it's, it's, it's 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 almost like a drug to you that you just have never tried because you're just worried what would happen if you tried it. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want, if, I basically just use it for year end lists. But if you want, my Letterbox and my Twitter are both uh, probably Arjun, both in those cases, because I didn't know what else to call them. Um, it's mostly just memes on the Twitter. I haven't commented on the World War Three yet, but you know, keep keep watching. And yeah. Cool. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on both Twitter and Letterbox. The podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pond. The podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again to Arjun and Fred for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. As we talked about all of the 2021 movies that uh, kind of made up this best picture lineup and so much more over the last year. And uh, though it's kind of funny to talk about it because like, you know, as the time you're listening to this, we are uh, well into the third month of 2022. But like, I think I almost consider this this, the year ended movies aside from our uh, top 10 podcast, because I don't really think I'm going to have anything else. Uh, uh, any other, I'm probably not. Oh, well, actually, no, I take that back. Probably going to have a podcast on the worst person in the world, though, you know, uh, like Elijah has already voiced on the podcast that he doesn't consider that a 2021 movie because it didn't get a real release. Uh, so who really knows? But like this is, uh, you know, I think the end of the uh, our reviews of things that are indisputably 2021 movies. So thanks to uh, Arjun and Fred for helping me uh, kind of be a completist in that regard. Thanks to all of you for listening and we will see you next time.